Just in and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, it's your pyramid head, long sword wielding bruiser Holden McNeely. And it's I, your kind of lost and confused middle-aged man who's in a town. I have to find the female. Where is the female? I'm Mary. You're- I- I'm not Mary. Ah, what a mind fuck! Now I'm dead. Whoa! Now I'm alive. Whoa! I'm Maria. Now I'm not Mary. I'm Mary now. Oh, jeez. What a weird... Thank God this town is helping me deal with my trauma. (laughs) Crickle, crackle, crickle, crackle. Oh, no. Me thinks the monster's nearby. I'm not Mary. (laughs) But I'm Maria. I'm Mary. Listen, Mary, not Mary Maria. I, I would love to talk this out and just kind of suss out the truth with you, but I have to beat to death... This SNM gimp with a pipe. <laughs> yeah, that'll be freaky. I'm into that. Yeah. Um, of course. I'm it- the weird vagina <laughs> thing from Silent uh, Hill 3. Uh, Look at my weird worst. arms and lips. I'm a sexy no-face nurse. I am here to give you a curse. Hey, sexy no-face nurse? Listen, I'm my weird trauma has nothing to do with like sex or medical facilities. Why are you here? I guess I'll leave then. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, it's weird that you keep showing up when you are clearly a product of one individual person's (laughs) psychological trauma. I guess you sell merch. Bye. 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 (laughs) Yes. We're talking about guys. If you haven't guessed, the well-known franchise Mary Not Maria (laughs) uh, from Konami. No, the world-famous pachinko and slot machine franchise (laughs) Silent Hill. Silent Hill, made by notoriously evil video game development company Konami. Um, How dare you besmirch the the game company that gave us Russian Attack and that one <laughs> shitty first NES Ninja Turtles game? Oh my God, this whole story's crazy. bruiser. I'm the bruiser. Yeah, you're the no, you're a wizard. I'm a wizard. Whatever, Mary Dot Marie. Uh, uh, this is. Do people still like us? <laughs> God, I hope so. Uh, of course, we're we're just trying to figure out. Like, we're like, how do we even approach this thing? Many people love this series. I guess I will start with my own personal interaction with the franchise. I remember getting Silent Hill. I remember Resident Evil had been out, right? Mm -hmm. Resident Evil 2 had even been out, I think, maybe. Um, I'd have to look that up. But I remember definitely being an early fan of the horror genre on uh, PlayStation hardware, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, this was like, uh, oh, cool. It's another one of those. It's going to be so scary, right? 
And then you get it and you're like, oh, this ain't yo daddy's Resident <laughs> Evil. This is like on another level of confusing, deliberately confusing, deliberately trying to put you in this headspace and tell you, I, I don't know, an actual like s- psychological thriller story that isn't just like nailed down in on in, on many levels that's purposely trying to to make you feel uncomfortable and uncertain of what is reality. And these are some things happening in a video game uh, at that time that really were not on any level happening. And it's so clear in doing the research on this because of all of the influences that they were working from, like, we're on another level. They're like, oh, our influences are, are Jacob's Ladder and Rembrandt and, like, uh, you know, Stephen King novels and and all this, all you know, and Twin Peaks. And alchemy, just the yeah. ancient medieval practice of alchemy. And so you're like, oh, man, these guys, we're going for it. And then how do you go for it if you work for a notoriously evil Japanese dev company? You are in your own little mode somehow. And we will explain how they're in their own little mode. So I remember Silent Hill, the first. Um, I'm pretty sure I beat it, but I can't remember. These were renters for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember Silent Hill 2. Again, not sure if I beat it or not, but I definitely remember playing that one. I don't think I got a ton of time with the other games in the franchise, but those were the reason for the season. And then, years and years later, PT happens to the world, and it is one. It's still one of the coolest gaming experiences <laughs> I think I've ever had. The entire, everyone was electric and alive, and then that, like, when the fact that it was a secret Silent Hills trailer came out, people lost their shit. That was insane. Yeah, it it, it was, it, it's so, it's such a cool play space. Meanwhile, for, there were, like, seven games in between yeah. what you just mentioned. Yeah, and like, 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 maybe four mainline, maybe, like, five, six more with arcade games. Yeah, we're, we're focused, we're, we're, our focus for the day is mainly the first three games we'll talk a little bit about the movies we'll talk a little bit about pt but um you spoke towards pt uh recently um with for uh, the uh, later kind of the the post team silent games if you look in the feed uh there will be an interview with matt mcmuscles uh youtuber let's player royalty and uh we get into the kind of weird bastard children of the franchise uh, which is awesome and then uh and then, and we talked about PT on our Kojima episode. Yes, we will speak more a little more towards it, but for the most part, we're looking at the first three games and talking about how this whole bizarre thing came together. We're, it is. It we're is, not going to talk about the room, Silent Hill. Oh, the we, room. oh, I will speak towards a little bit the room. <laughs> Uh, room three. You mean Room Three Hundred Two? Its own separate franchise that was supposed to be its own thing. Oh yes. Um. Yes. We'll talk about that as well. So, anyways, now that we've talked about what we'll talk about, do you have an experience of Silent Hill that you'd like to bestow upon our lovely listeners? Thank you for listening. Please continue to listen to us. And um, I need your. I feed off your love. I live off your love. That's. I also feed off your love. We are like the town psychic <laughs> vampires drawn to the traumatized. <laughs> I was a squishy, uh, colorful N sixty four kid. I had no reference for. Resident Evil, I had no reference for Silent Hill. Uh, Resident Evil kind of became a mainline multi-console franchise, but Silent Hill had eluded me. I know people were super into it. I know it is on a million, Silent Hill 2 especially is on a list of, you know, the greatest horror games ever made, but I never made the deep dive uh, until starting research this week. I installed a bunch of fucking PlayStation emulators uh, to try and, like, get it working on my PC. Eventually, um, I got it working. 
I made it across uh, Toluca Lake and like squished through the mud and found the first like gross wriggly guy. And uh, they do great with the sound effects in this game, by the way. Um, well, and, and that makes sense because the back one of the backbones of the franchise is a composer, which we'll talk about. Uh, and then the tank controls got so frustrating. I gave up <laughs> and watched a Let's Play. But through that lens, I get it. I get why the fan base has been so intensely loyal to this franchise and how Konami's in stumble bumbles all the way across hurt them so bad because especially Silent Hill 2 and like being there in the late 90s just like playing this alone in the dark and the amount of hot nights muscle cars <laughs> women who just uh, making out with girls under the docks <laughs> different life um there's okay. There's either the kids that lived out real life Bruce Springsteen songs, and then there are the kids that stayed home alone with a blanket, playing Silent Hill, hearing 2. muscle cars outside, wondering what their lives are like while playing inside Silent Hill Two, th- considering maybe watching some TGI Friday potentially. Uh, so th- I mean, as an adult, like the heavy handedness and like the 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 fucking wild like gut punches didn't hit as hard because I'm an adult. I've lived like a life. I under- I've seen and read and experienced things. As a fucking kid or a young teenager, the idea that the thing you're afraid of, the thing this isn't about, isn't that the G-virus has turned some rando into a claw monster. The thing that is truly at the heart of this fear is, like, what if the person you loved just became so sick and different that you didn't love them anymore? What if the person who you swore, like, to love forever became the object of hate and destruction. And, like, that's a fucking mind blow for a fucking PlayStation 2 game. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. And then the more you get into it, turns out there's a magical dog ending. (laughs) Ah, Yeah, yeah. There's joke endings, which is insane. There's no true ending Mm -hmm. uh, either. There's, you know, there's six different endings, I believe, right? No true one. So it's, 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 it's saying things to you like, oh, look at this, like, art. It's up to your interpretation. Oh, you got that ending? Well, maybe that's your story, but there are other stories, and none of them are necessarily real, and it's not about what is true or real. It's about actually the the little space in between reality and non-reality. So it's – I get it. I get it. That experience is so intimate and so real, and the mm-hmm. fact that PT managed to replicate oh, that God. level of intensity and isolation – while still keeping that like Silent Hill spirit of communal secrets and weird hidden uh, uh, schmagugos, licensed copyright Jake Young Industries. Go for it. Um, is uh, is kind of incredible. Meanwhile, there's also all the lore, the stuff about the Order, the stuff about the cult, Homecoming, Shattered Memories, and it and it's purposely you know and and uh, it makes a lot of sense that Twin Peaks would be such an influence on the series because again it's another entity that is intentionally vague and intentionally wanting its audience to talk to each other, try to unpack things, try to get to the bottom of th- of the reality of things when there's so much craziness happening all swirling around it. And just it's it represents a really almost perfect marriage of Western horror and quote unquote J horror. Uh-huh. That like that that unsettling, creeping psychological terror Mixed with like the Western monster, uneat, like uh, just true fight for your life terror. It's just, it's great. It's, I get it. 
and the <laughs> series deserved better. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into why it didn't get be- uh, deserve or it didn't receive better, uh, and that is an easy segue into the history of Okonami. Evil Konami. <laughs> um, I just love how evil, like how, like they are Japan's EA, right? Yeah, like, yeah. If or EA, Blizzard, if you ask people right now, but if EA like had a side business where it ran gyms and insurance companies, <laughs> and like didn't give a shit about video games. So Konami is founded in 1969 and officially uh, uh, later in 1973 as Konami Industry Co. Limited. The founder and current chairman is Kagemasa Kozuki, who before that, he ran a jukebox and rental repair business in Osaka, Japan, before moving over to amusement machines for video arcades. Much like every other Japanese video game, uh, what started as one thing and became, it's always vending machines is the trajectory, and then they move into video games. Yeah, Sega famously was like amusement machines into into arcades, into consoles. Nintendo went like crazy with like cons- yeah, like card games. Card games and, and stuff like that. Pitching machines. Uh so the first coin operated game they made was released in 1978. They be- then began exporting products to the US in 1979 and became a major success in 1981 with um, Frogger. Everybody remembers Frogger, right? Mm. You got Frog, you take our Actually, that was one of the er- first computer games I think I ever played. That was probably one of the first video games I ever put my hands on. Now that I think about it, on like our Apple II. Um, oh yeah, Frogger was was ported to literally everything. Uh, they also had games like Scramble and Super Contra, things like that. They established Co- uh, Konami of America Inc. in 1982. Um, not to age myself, but the year I was born, and uh, that aligned with their expansion into the home game market, starting with releasing games for the Atari 2600, then the MSX Home Computer in 1983, and finally for probably the stuff you might be more familiar with for the Nintendo Entertainment System. In 1985, they had such hits as Gradius, Castlevania, Twin B, Contra, and Metal Gear, uh, along with, of course, uh, later uh, Silent Hill and all that. Uh, they- Konami was a superstar publisher of the Famicom era. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, yeah, Twin B, Castlevania, even the Goonies game. Um, there's actually an entire franchise in Japan called, like, Konami Wanwan World or something, mm-hmm. where it's, like, a giant crossover where, like, Goemon and Simon Belmont and the cast of the Goonies all team up to sell- – and Twinbee. You can play as Twinbee ha. in the side-scroller. So, yeah, like, the Konami, I guess, roster was legendary at this time. They were a huge part of Japanese game development. And just to give you an idea of how huge, they went in just four years from earning regular uh, yearly earnings of $10 million to – Three hundred million dollars, and this is in the early '80s. That is a juggernaut of business, right there. That is how well they're selling their video games. They end up making games for the SNES and the Genesis, as well as the Sega Saturn and the PlayStation, which is the era we move into when it comes to talking about Team Silent. Team Silent, who made the first four Silent Hill games, which of course are the focus of today's episode. Um, according to composer Akira Yamaoka, remember that name? Mm-hmm. The, he not only is a composer, he had a lot to do. Uh, he, he ends up being the producer uh, uh, after the first couple of games. Like he, he is part of the lifeblood of Silent Hill all the way through. He said the team consisted of staff that failed at other projects and were set to leave the company until the first Silent Hill game came out. By all accounts... It really seemed like these people, and it makes so much sense why they, how they ended up making the type of t- the tone of game that they made uh, or instilling that tone into the game. These are all people 
deeply frustrated. They were on failed projects. This is not a friendly working environment by the accounts I've seen. I've seen other accounts. I think it's Sato who we'll talk about. Um, he talked about how you know it 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 did feel like a family and that uh, but a family it sounded like that the type of family that would scream at each other <laughs> and make each other upset, but also there was love there. But still, it just seems like it was. It's a harsh environment. Period. Even if you're doing well at the company, but to not be doing well. They were just getting incredibly ostracized by the the by Konami, the, the you know higher ups and everything, and more, pushed more and more essentially out of the the company's like main um, projects projects right, and and so they're off on their own. And weirdly enough, and we always talk about that in this in these episodes. Mega Man was like this. Resident Evil was like this. This is a little bit different because these guys were like not even working on other important projects quote-unquote for the company these guys were literally like you guys are pretty much out of here just go do your thing i guess no this is the greatest this is where so much greatness comes from as we've covered on this uh, yeah the the magic ingredients are enough resources to actually make the thing yep a vague enough instruction from the higher ups that they can actually are free to create something original within that frame and nobody cares about them so they and get to just no do, oversight they get to just do whatever they want creatively because everyone is like well these guys suck so just make your little thing and make a make a resident uh, what's the original like decree was uh hey make a resident evil like you know like a western appealing horror game of course right um and it was very specifically for america they wanted to make something that would sell really well in america and yeah, they they decided they wanted to explore the fear of the unknown, and that makes sense because they were probably very afraid of their uncertain futures at this point. Mm-hmm. Everybody was like, this was essentially their Final Fantasy, you know? It was like, this is probably the last thing we're going to make at Konami. And I feel like a lot of it is an expression of their emotional turmoil, and that's why they wanted to do a psychological horror approach with a vague plot that you know contradicts itself and and um, makes players unnerved and confused. And they also said, "Fuck it, let's you know, let's let's go hard on the paint. Let's try to make a masterpiece. Let's try to make something that's just the best thing we can make because." You know, when you have nothing else going on, I mean, other people like they would play it safe if they were doing well in the company. They wouldn't want to take a giant risk like that, you know. So among the people in Team Sound that you've studied, who stood out to you the most? Whose story did you actually like? Oh, dudes, uh, Takayoshi Sato. Let's talk about him. Who I just mentioned. Let's talk about him. Yeah. What a fast. This whole thing. Again, Konami doing everything they can, or at least his higher ups doing everything they can to actively fuck him over and keep his name off of the property, uh, keep keep him out, uh, out of sight, and he has to fight the hardest fucking fight to just have his name on the final product of Silent Hill. So the director is Toyama, right? The director yeah. is Keiichiro Toyama. Sato is like a th- this 3D modeling guy. And I guess we should explain, like, this is the turning point in video games when it comes yeah, to that. Yeah, this stuff. is the beginning of the... Uh, PlayStation era, the 3D. Well, I guess it's no, it's well established at this point. But Konami is kind of an old fashioned place. Mm-hmm. And uh, Takayoshi Sato took it upon himself to learn 3D graphics. He like he was an oil painter and a sculptor yeah. in art school. And he realized that this is where the industry is going. And he ended up, like you said, assisting on a bunch of projects. But 
and teaching, teaching the staff because the staff was largely older than him. And I, I don't. Oh yeah, know, yeah. He would hold seminars and educational like on three uh, D modeling, and and because they had no idea what the fuck they were doing when it came to that stuff. And he's like, "Let me teach you. Let me help you." But they had such little respect for him, and I think it was maybe like an elder issue, is what it's sounding like. That like, oh, this young guy, like whatever with him, even though they're using him, like they need him to teach them this stuff. It's also a weird thing in like the hierarchies of Japanese business that like a younger person should only be making his boss look better. Yes. And he shouldn't be trying to like jump frog. So he's given zero credit, so much so that he goes through the trouble to create a short demo that was just on another level of things that they had no idea how to do. And he goes to uh like the higher up higher ups and he shows it to them and he says I will not teach the rest of the staff this demo unless you give me credit for the work that I am doing in this company. What uh, I heard is he demanded to be put on a serious project, uh, too, such as either Metal Gear or whatever this Silent Hill thing was. Yes. So, of course, they're like, oh, well, then go to the broken land of broken <laughs> toys and make this dumb, you know, thing that we don't even believe in. So uh, he ends up. He ends up uh, being a character designer for Silent Hill, as well as uh, largely uh, like the 3D renderer. Um, this is a crazy story. So he's designing the characters directly in the computer. He had a very difficult time, first of all, uh, with these skull shapes for the American cast because none of his coworkers were Caucasian. He's Supposedly, he spent time in America and had sketchbooks of like what he was trying to capture as like the American energy. So it's it's he. If you notice, like, the Silent Hill designs by Sato have, like, a little more humanity to them. Like, the uh, the most plain example I can think of is uh, 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 Maria is, like, supposed to be, like, a hot chick. But, like, she feels like a small-town hot chick. She has a little bit of belly fat. She has wrinkles. Like, you know, she's not just, like, a perfect waifu in right. many ways. Right. And specifically, Sato's uh, art style, like, his pen and paper, his pencil sketches – look a lot like the final models. Like, he was really able to translate his designs to 3D in a way that many people weren't able to at the time. Again, the his his employer, his like, or his, like, head, the guy above him, again does not want to give him credit for doing all of this work on Silent Hill. Uh, his supervisor, that is. So he ends up saying, fine, I will create the full motion videos in Silent Hill myself. Because back in the day, the, uh, like, the videos, uh, I, this still happens in games. But a lot of stuff is rendered in game now, whereas before you had to like create separately the like cutscenes, yeah. and then they would be their own separate entity, and then you would jump into the game. The a graphics pre-rendered cutscene, pre-rendered. So he says, "Fine, I'll do all of those videos myself if I can just get my name on this project so that I can have a career." So he ends up living in the office as 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 it always goes, just living there every day waiting for his coworkers to leave so that he could use uh, somewhere around 150 of his colleagues' computers to render these <laughs> cutscenes. So he is just being worked like a dog, all so that he can get the proper due for the work that he's doing. It is ridiculous. Um, one of the things uh, that his work on the silent, uh, he, was, he did the cutscenes for one and two. Three, oddly enough, they switched to in-game rendered cutscenes mm -hmm. for the most part. Interesting. Uh the facial expressions because they use mocap for all the for most for pretty much all the games where you know they had actors in the ping pong suits and so like their body movements were taken care of and could be rigged 
But the facial animation, Sato painstakingly animated every little, like, crease of the mouth and, like, blink and snarl. Uh, you know, the kind of stuff that only Pixar was really doing on yeah. his own, which was the bulk of the work. That's what, like, kept this game delayed as long as it did because it took him this long to get the faces right. But at the time, if you watch Resident Evil 2's pre-rendered cutscenes, they look like fucking plastic mannequins in the face compared to how intense all the actors are emoting in Silent Hill 1's cutscenes. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like that level of that level of detail and that level of work, again, helped add to the psychological impact. It made Silent Hill feel more personal. And also, because this work is being essentially hand-done by Sato, you need to understand how instrumental he is. And even though he's not credited as a director, he really almost should be because a lot of the environments the characters are being envisioned by him because he's the only one you know putting all this stuff together and putting it out there so the town was largely influenced by sato's vision he said he wanted it to have the look uh or he wanted he wanted the look of the town to touch audiences in a deeper level so it might be connected to my nostalgic memories this is sato talking but i am not really sure i tried to depict a town that is desolated filled with sorrow yet you cannot stop loving it uh which i get from there there's like an odd familiarity especially as an american to this sort of small you know this neighborhood uh you know but but all fogged up and creepy and like you know, and, and just the desolate flatness yeah. of an American t- city compared to like Japanese towns also have desolate towns, but they're they have their own energy. But that like flat, boxy kind of industrial feel of an American small town mm-hmm. uh, is it's they tried to capture, and that was unique. Do, do you get into Sato's later life because he has a weird arc after? Well, this. he works at Nintendo now, right? So right. uh, he ended up. Uh, Quitting after, oddly enough, working with Konami was a frustrating. <laughs> um, and uh, he kind of was a kind of a, a wild gun like artist. You know, he had his he had his own fans. Uh, he contributed artwork to other games. He ended up working for a company that was literally called Serious Games, mm. and their whole deal was about heightening the art form of games into like industrial and practical uses, such as like uh, training doctors to have better bedside manner and cool. like. Uh, virtual hotel lobbies that like the Marriott Corporation would train their uh, people in. Again, working on human interaction, emotion, psychology, all this kind of stuff. Believe it or not, that company just gobbled up a lot of startup money and then went under. (laughs) And after all of this like kind of highfalutin ideas between Silent Hill and serious games, yeah, he ended up working on like Mario, Paper Mario sticker story. (laughs) Yeah. Just the kind of loosey-goosey, kind of fun-oriented and uh, even though I'm sure working at Nintendo is extremely strict, they at least have a more loosey-goosey kind of just uh, uh, ideal of fun yes. and, uh, you know, less of a gross shareholder overbearingness than Konami did. So let's now talk about the director, Keiichiro Toyama. He studied art of uh, as well uh, before joining Konami in 1994 as a graphic designer. This is the director designer. of one. Uh, yes, this is the director of just the first one, and he ends up going on to make the Gravity Rush games, which are games I've been meaning to play, actually, um, as they seem like a lot of fun and really inventive and, and, and cool. Um, he was unsure of his role as director, as he'd never done it previously, and he wrote the game scenario, but he was actually not a big horror buff. He was instead very interested in UFOs, the occult, and the films of David Lynch, all of which influenced his scenario. Can we talk about Jacob's Ladder? Yeah. 
We can talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacob's Ladder is a movie. <laughs> uh, Jacob's Ladder is a 1990 psychological horror film. I always thought it was a Stephen King story. Really? Yeah, for some reason I just assumed it was uh, one of those Stephen King movies. You know what I mean? But it's not. It, and it's very interesting. And it's so – you. Silent Hill makes so much more sense when you look at its influences. You're like, oh, and these people had influences coming in that were just so completely far separate from any any other motivation people had for making video games at the time, it feels like. Jacob's Ladder's got to be, like, the weirdest, like, I want to make it, if, if back then you went, like, I want to make a game based on Jacob's Ladder, <laughs> people be like, what? Yeah, no. but great. there'll be uh, guilt about Vietnam yeah. and fucked up babies. It's yeah. great. It's, uh, so it's a, uh, a psychological horror film about a Vietnam vet whose PTSD leads to horrifying hallucinations as he attempts to get to the truth of his reality. So very much the types of things we've already mentioned before. What is real? What is a hallucination? What is my actual life? What is just some metaphysical uh, state of being? Um, and the idea of PTSD as kind of this other dimension of mm. where like your trauma can actually uh, affect your reality, which yes. uh, is very key to the Silent Hill experience. It includes a lot of biblical references um, and especially the story of Jacob's Ladder uh, and a meeting place between heaven and earth. Jacob's Ladder is essentially uh, this envisioned ladder that the angels would climb from the earth to get up to heaven and vice versa. Uh, and it's uh, essentially talking about the idea of like, oh, you're both alive and dead at the same time. And the, these types of concepts of like, what is time and what is your reality? Like we were just saying, writer uh, Bruce Joel Rubin had this to say about the horror of the film, which I think is very, very, you could describe Silent Hill in a very similar way. The horror of the movie would be in the revelation that hope is hell's final torment, that life is a dream that ends over and over with the final truth. That life was never real. That we are all creatures trapped in eternal suffering and damnation. Silent Hill Homecoming, they just like fucking take the mask off. And basically their opening scene is a direct rip of the hospital like gurney scene from Jacob's Ladder. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Also, uh, I saw a thing that uh, Toyama actually drew from Stephen King's The Mist. Yes, which is great. Yeah. Where lit, I that mean, makes a lot of sense, it's almost, too, because there's so much mist. And in, fog, yeah, yeah and, and there's monsters being hidden within it. Terrorizing what was once an idyllic small town. Yes, perfectly. Per yeah, right? Um, Man, they really lucked out with that mist. Like, they thought of the idea of mist first, of yeah. fog first. And then discovered, oh, the PlayStation can't render a right. whole town at once. Yeah, <laughs> it's so smart. It's so good for a horror game, too, because it, I mean, rewatching, we were watching, both of us were watching long plays of Silent Hill 2 recently. And um, man, it's so scary when you only have what's right in front of you visible mm -hmm. and you just don't even know what's at the end of this street, what's at the, it's like, and there's nothing there a lot of times. And you're still like, ugh, it just feels so gross. To only be able to see just right, right in front of you like that. And yet it perfectly takes advantage of the hardware. Other influences, you've got creatures and puzzles in the game based on the books. Certain books such as, that Alessa loved, such as The Lost World by Arthur Conan Doyle. And also Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, which again is a super hallucinogenic tale, children's tale. Uh, where one is constantly questioning what the truth is behind any of the scenarios. That There's so in. many times a character just has to jump further down a hole. Like, I can't believe Troma got a shout out in this game. Did you not know about this? I, uh, uh, on the char There's a character in the game, Michael Kaufman. 
which is a combo of Troma's founders, Michael Hertz and Lloyd, Lloyd Kaufman. How right. amazing is that? I, oh, you're telling me a bunch of 20-something misfits came up with this game? <laughs> hey, everybody, it's me, your woolly wizard, Jake, here to talk about this week's sponsor, Keeps. Yeah, we're talking about Keeps again, and honestly, they've been our most consistent ad supporter, and I'm glad to have them on board because they're offering a service that really helps people out. Two out of three guys will experience some form of male pattern baldness by the time they're 35. Uh, That's pretty bad news, but the good news is, with today's advancement in science, Keeps can offer you treatments that will combat the symptoms of hair loss. It's a revolutionary way for men to get a hold of the treatments they need. When I use hair loss treatments, it was always a hassle before I hooked up with Keeps. I would have to go to the pharmacy, they'd have to unlock a little cabinet, and then when I finally got the products in my hands, they were so expensive. Keeps takes care of all of that. You visit a doctor online and get the medications delivered to your home. There's no more waiting rooms, no more checkout lines. Get a doctor's attention and discreet drug delivery, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. And it's important that you act as soon as you can, because even though we've made advancements, there's no cure for total baldness. If you notice the first signs of hair loss, the time to act and put a stop to it is now. Prevention is key. Keeps treatments really work. They are up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. And the sooner you start using Keeps, the more hair you'll save. So, so act now. Now's the time. If it's giving you trouble, if you're fearing the future, you can take care of that anxiety. There's so many things to be anxious about, and Keeps actually lets you take care of one. Just tick it off the list. Find out why Keeps has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors, and nearly 100,000 men trust Keeps for their hair loss prevention medication. Keeps treatments start at just $10 a month, and for a limited time, you'll get your first month for free. That's $0. That is actual medication that will help stop hair loss for free. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com wizard, and you'll receive your first month of treatment for free. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash wizard. Another uh, key talent uh, that worked with Toyama is uh, Naoko Sato, who was, uh, she wrote horror stories as a kid and ended up being a uh, uh, one of the monster designers in Silent Hill 1. Like uh, the, that proto nurse, that not, not the bubble nurse, not the hot nurse, that like lumpy nurse in Silent Hill 1 was her design. And she ended up going with Toyama uh, after the first game. And they decided to make this like kind of uh, basically I I literally had never heard of this this series until we did this research. But uh, a kind of a Japan more Japanese focused horror game from the mold of Silent Hill, which was called Siren, ah. which with a thick Japanese accent sounds a lot like silent. But uh, she stayed on she stayed on Toyama's team and did eventually end up working with him on the Gravity Rush series. As you mentioned. Hell yeah, yeah. I want to check out Gravity Rush. Uh, there's a ton of references to religions and the occult throughout the game. For example, the names of doors in the nowhere dimension uh, are uh, Ophiel and Haggith, to name a couple. Um, those are pulled from a medieval book of black magic and are names of angels that rule over planets. That weird red stuff that like you need to get to get the good ending. I forget what it's called, <laughs> but that's like straight out of old like herbal medicines and like... Uh, uh, what do you call like an old timey medicine book? Whatever, old timey me- like 
uh, hip, uh, you know, Hippo Hippocrates talked about this weird flower that no one could agree with what it was, but it cured a bunch of shit. Sato reiterating what I was describing about the team. He said, most people working for game companies are game freaks, but the Silent Hill team are artists and programmers first, mainly artists. Silent Hill 2 is not a typical game because most of our staff didn't grow up playing games. Because of this, we hope to provide the gamer with a different sort of game. I mean, everything we just described is not a vid- in a, from a video game. The books, the demon stuff, the occult stuff, these films that influenced it. You don't really see in many games in this list of influences. Um, if, if none, I don't think I named a single video game that influenced this game. And I think that's amazing. And it's a really smart place to work from when creating something you and new and unique in the video game realm. And uh, then you also have uh, Akira Yamaoka. We mentioned him earlier. Uh, he requested to join the team after the first musician left and also did the sound effect creation and audio mastering. So everyone's wearing multiple hats. Uh, Akira, I mean, Akira Yamaoka is the longest serving yes. member of the team. Especially for this Porsche, for the first four games. Not only that, but even after he left Konami, they would uh, keep bringing him back as like a contractor. Mm-hmm. So his music still showed up in later games. He based his composition on composer Angelo Badalamenti's work on Twin Peaks, which has uh, such a unique and phenomenal soundtrack Twin-, Twin Peaks does and definitely makes a lot of sense. Twin Peaks also being about odd occurrences in a small town. In his initial presentation, because he was using so many weird sound effects and bizarre just conf- intentionally disorienting uh, s- sounds within his competition. The staff thought that uh, th- it was actually, they were listening to a, the result of a game bug. And he had to be like, no, 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 this is intentional. I'm doing this to throw people off to, you know, these weird rusty industrial sounds that I'm throwing at you um, is done in a very specific way to make you just feel so unnerved. And it, it is really inventive and very fascinating amazingly enough he actually uh he had formal training in 3d and product designs and uh just began experimenting on the free music software that came with a pc he bought one time and to this day despite the fact that he travels the world uh, appears in concerts you know has legions of fans who love his music he still does not know how to read music and has never studied music theory wow it's all self-taught that's fucking crazy, and and it's really great stuff. And I love too how he, you know, totally switches it up in Silent Hill too in a lot of ways. And it's got this like rock and roll soundtrack and stuff like that. And you know, he still has these industrial noises and stuff, but he keeps adding layers and new sounds and new things. Yeah, uh, Silent Hill three, he famously starts adding uh, vocals. Mm-hmm. He has like a rockin' shit, like because to reflect the kind of rebellious nature of Heather. They have like kind of some rockin', uh, I forgot the name of the female singer he teamed up with, but she's famous in a lot of ways and did a bunch <laughs> of cool shit. I think she was, I think she actually did the voice of the major, if I me- uh, remember correctly. Anyway, yeah, they, yeah, he added a more rockin' kind of vocal sound. Uh, he's just a very versatile and creative person. And it was when he finally stopped doing Silent Hill games that a lot of people just said, that's it, because he did, uh, yeah. he did, he came back for Origins, he came back for Shattered Memories, he came back for a lot. Uh, and he was like the last thread. Uh, Sato had this to say about the type of horror that Silent Hill so uniquely and wonderfully does. Um, it's also, this is a little broken up. I think the translation's A, bad, but it's also like a direct translation, so I'm just leaving the gr- grammatical errors in here. 
I do not think human would feel fear by seeing monster with fangs, horns, and such typical scary visual language. I think there are two main factors that evoke fear. First, to see something beyond their understanding. Second, to see concealed their true self. I think that is definitely, um, A, a really good description, actually, of what Jacob's Ladder is trying to do. And B, yeah, I I think that's right on the money. I think one of my favorite things about, like, Cthulhu, right, going back to that, is that it's, the idea is that it is a monster that is just so terrifying and so completely um, unseen and uncomprehensible that you would go insane just viewing it, you know, just just having it in front of you. That's always freaked me out and to me been such a smart, great horror concept. And again, having to confront who you really are is more terrifying than any giant monster uh, in, in the real world. Another name we got to drop is Masahiro Ito. Mm who uh, started as an artist on the first game and then became the main monster designer in two and three. And those two and three designs are legendary. Those are kind of singularly iconic uh, just entries into the the canon of video game monsters. So we're talking the bubble nurses. We're talking pyramid head. We're talking the closer from three. And what specifically he did is everything had to be recognizably human, but broken but wrong uh because you know anybody can beat up a monster but if it like and if it can read as human like you'll feel sympathy for it it's not as clean and not as like happy as just defeating the evil it's kind of you're you're you know uh especially those like wriggly guys i forgot what they're called uh he says that he was initially influenced by just seeing his friend walk around in a hoodie with his hands in his pockets and it created this gross like idea of like this limbless creature with limbs just beneath the surface <laughs> the the leg monsters like everything kind of has okay so let's let's uh, the leg monsters are literally i, I should have looked up what their actual names are please silent hill fans do not destroy me you know they're two pairs of sexy legs it's literally yeah. just two sexy legs just weird. sewn together yeah. and if you look at any single part of it you're like Ah, oh, sweet. Woohoo. Check out those gams. <laughs> but then you have to fucking beat it to death with a pipe or blast it with a shotgun. Uh-huh. The fact that they actually managed to kind of incorporate uh, psychological themes into the monster designs, as opposed to just kind of coming up with whatever was spooky, uh, where later games kind of fucked up in that regard. Uh, in two, all the characters have this weird mix of like fleshy decay and like medical equipment. There's like a lot of bed imagery in a lot of the monsters and designs. Uh, like big pouty sexy lips and like weird vaginal openings and then in three there's all these like more like a uh, body horror uh grotesque masculine forms like the fat guys and like the uh the hulking limping things but still with like weird vaginas and lips everywhere because i don't know if you knew this sex fucks up people sometimes <laughs> the the bubble nurse famously this is like yeah. uh within the famously uh the bubble nurses are these uh uh, you know, sexy nurses like out of a porno with like the rock and cleavage, crazy long legs. If you actually look at the character models, they have like crazy spidery legs, but their faces are wrapped in this like weird fleshy kind of cocoon and their heads are constantly shaking and twisting wrong. And so this this weird like kind of uh, attraction and revulsion yeah. at the same time from these characters was so powerful that. They kept coming back in later games. They became iconic. The uh, the the pyramid head. Yeah, I want to I want to get more into pyramid head. I wanted to like wrap up a little bit on Silent Hill, like what the, when the game came out and stuff like that, and then get into 
um, more in depth with that stuff. What I wanted to say really quickly about the sexualization, though, is I think you were really seeing that for the first time. O- only the only game I could think of like before that that had like sex and horror elements interweaved was like Phantasmagoria and those kind of yeah. But those were more exploitationy. Those were more just like here's boobs. Now here's a demon monster, you know, chasing you. Yeah, we do. A lot of people give Silent Hill a ton of credit for like being the first psychological horror game. There is all sorts of weird crap on the yeah. PC from the <laughs> 80s and 90s. It's, it's just, but it just that feels more confused. This feels more like it's actually trying to do something with that imagery. Or even yeah, and the fact that it was on a mainstream console that was in American living rooms, like it did. It I understand there was stuff before it, but it has its reputation for a reason. Silent Hill One, we had, didn't get the success story right. The game shows really well at 1998's E3, and that's oh. what spawns everything, all of the success, and how we got to Pyramid Head. Uh, this is in Atlanta. This is back when it was in Atlanta. And I think Konami was incredibly surprised to hear large amounts of applause from <laughs> uh, from the audience. And, um, and that's essentially what got them to say, hey, maybe we should actually put some PR into this. Maybe we should actually... You know, we include a demo of it with the release of Metal Gear Solid in Japan. And it actually got this groundswell despite itself, despite Konami's essentially sabotaging of the project as a whole, I think, as a way for them to try to get past the red tape and get rid of all these people. I literally cannot think of a more dumb business idea in the early in the late 90s than like, oh, why are you wasting so much time on? Cool, cutting-edge CG cutscenes. <laughs> yeah. No one ever likes those in this, the year of our Lord, late 90s video game industry. <laughs> so it gets released in early 1999 uh, all around the world, and it is received very well by critics. And that's a good time to release, especially if you're an underdog game, because uh, not a lot's happening usually at the beginning of the year, generally with video game releases. Critics, it does really well with. It sells over 2 million copies, and it qualifies it for one of those North, North American Greatest Hits releases. If you remember the like green tag on the PlayStation cover, uh, those greatest hits, which is like a huge achievement, again, for this little franchise that could. And that is what allows them to immediately go into production on the sequel. Um, and it is uh, Takeyoshi Sato now that is... At the forefront of this whole thing, he comes up with the story. This time, he bases it off of Dostoevsky's novel *Crime and Punishment*, which is crazy. I didn't, I didn't even know the plot of *Crime and Punishment*. It's Silent Hill forced me to learn about what it is. It's about a poor ex-student in Russia that plots to murder a pawnbroker for her money in order to remove himself from poverty and go on in his mind to do great deeds and you know be a better person. And of course, him doing. What he did only leads to paranoia, guilt, and disgust, um, essentially having to confront his true self and a full-on meltdown and confession to his crime. So the game uh, is, you know, the main character is James Sunderland, and he's combating with the murder of his own wife, and that's why he's creating monsters like... Pyramid Head. Yes, let's talk about it. So Pyramid Head immediately captures the imagination of everybody. He is like, you know, becomes a Halloween costume, becomes cosplay, becomes merchandise. And it's just based on the fact that, like, he's human. He's recognizably human. He's not, he's not, doesn't have twisted limbs. He doesn't have, like, uh, you know, gross claws. He has a big-ass knife. And, you and a big-ass pyramid on his head. And you <laughs> see, the first thing he does is he's, like, humping eight of those leg creatures. That's, um, yeah. Well, for, And he's in, like, a butcher's apron. 
so like he represents the aggression and like the the kind of darker side to James's psyche. Uh, there's a bunch of fan theories that point out that like except for the fact where you're in a room with them and he's actively trying to kill you, the pyramid heads are always like guiding you further to mm. the truth and always kind of ushering you along. That's interesting. But the pyramid, it hides the face. It you know it's you cannot know him. He is a mystery. And it rep- it looks like a church steeple. It looks like an old like uh, witch hunter's outfit. And you look into uh, I think yeah, in one of the one of you look at a painting, and it's clear that this was some ancient Christian order thing that like the people in charge of burning witches in these gross uh, apparatuses wore these ceremonial headdresses. Hmm. Um, I love the tank thing. Oh. Do you know the tank thing? What's the tank thing? Well, just that uh, the helmet, that pyramid, is inspired by the whole of the King Tiger Heavy Tank, which is a German uh, war tank. Can used there in be World one Japanese nerdy thing that doesn't end up going into German tanks? <laughs> it's like so fucking common. It's insane. Seriously? Oh, they I guess fucking that's true. love tanks. And it does. It does give me that weird, creepy like vibe that, and I never put it attached it to that. You wouldn't necessarily think that looking at it, but you're like, yeah, that does have this gross, like, old-school war machine vibe. But also, and again, he used the phrase for all of the monsters in Silent Hill 2. Ido used the phrase soured flesh mm-hmm. as um, his general approach concept, along with, as you mentioned before, quote, an element of humanity. And I think it was much more terrifying to have all the monsters, but especially Pyramid Head, have this human quality that I think really, like, throws you off. Um, also, uh, the creation of Pyramid Head was based on the history of the town. Sato said, the place Silent Hill is used to be the place of execution away from cities. That was secret and sacred place. Heinous criminals are transferred to that place and get executed. That place existed only for that reason. Thus, all village people are executioners or family of executioners. Executioners needed to wear a mask at the event so they do not directly witness their spear when it was piercing flesh. Time have uh, passed, only memory of execution lingered, got enhanced, and formed the roaming illusion of Silent Hill. Pyramid Head is distorted memory of the executioners, which I think is a cool, that's a cool phrase. Pyramid Head is the distorted memory of executioners. And he does have that executioner vibe, for sure. Um, very fucking cool. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like Pyramid Head's like kind of the reason for the season a little bit with Silent Hill. You know what I mean? Or at oh, least it's well, it's the closest to like an iconic thing because you can't just have like a Harry Mason doll. It's just a guy with brown hair and a jacket. <laughs> it could just be like, what? You pull the string. He's just like, where am I? Mary? <laughs> Maria? No, that's James. James is Mary Maria. Oh, right, right, right. Cheryl. Where is Cheryl? Just any, whatever. It's screaming any woman's name. Yeah, basically. Uh, oh, Laura? <laughs> is there a Laura in the town? There is no Laura. What? You fucking slapped Laura and threw her off a building like a Donkey Kong. Is there a Jessica then? I'll take any woman. You put a banana peel in front of Jessica and then she tumbled down a bunch of stairs. Why is everything Donkey Kong related in this horror scenario? You are actually a gorilla. (laughs) The trauma you're trying to suppress is that you are an actual gorilla. I mean, I will say, though, there is an ending in which a dog is the reason for all of this. So that's not even that far off in our joke scenario. Uh, okay, okay. so because we talked about, because we have the most experience with Silent Hill 2 at the, in fresh in our minds, like, can we t- what are some of the moments in that game in watching through the game that, like, really stood out to you? First appearance of Pyramid Head, 
definitely the intentional confusion that is the Mary Maria thing and always throwing you off. The guy vomiting. Oh, Eddie. That I was fucking love very Eddie. upsetting. And, and just like being like, oh, by the way, there's like child murder in this and like sexual assault um, elements and things like that. Um, what about you? I really I have to look. This is sad that I forgot the other character's name. Um, also, the weird thing that there's like uh, parts of it stolen from Kindergarten Cop, but we'll, yeah. we'll get into that later. <laughs> Okay, Angela, Angela, mm. uh, that uh, in the game you kind of deal with Angela's trauma a little bit, and it's you find out that, like, Silent Hill looks completely different uh, to her. Uh, they do it with Eddie, too. You go into Eddie's mind, and it's full of weird meat and stuff. Uh, but, like, Angela was clearly sexually abused, and uh, it was also drawn to Silent Hill, and you know, the mystery of, like, what ends up happening to her. You know, she ascends a staircase where, like, you ascend in an elevator. It's very a lot of symbolic stuff happening. I just like that. Um, so uh, you meet two people who are also drawn to Silent Hill, also because of trauma. There was Angela, who was uh, horrifically abused by her entire family on a physical and sexual level, uh, who keeps trying to kill herself and is keeps like uh, fomenting all this self hatred and fiery like destruction around her. Uh, and then there's Eddie, who uh, was also traumatized by. Being made fun of for being fat. <laughs> and, like, uh, it's just a very weird juxtaposition of just yeah. the ways that, like, getting how you, people get fucked up and how that expresses itself. Uh, I, I fucking love it when just Eddie is talking to a little ghost child <laughs> while eating pizza in a bowl. <laughs> like, it's so funny. Yeah. The fact that uh, there's so much psychological imagery, there's so much, uh, you know, the, for going from the town to the just – the prison to the apartment. Oh, the apartment building's amazing. Mm -hmm. When you, uh, when you finally open the, where you open the door and you see the flashlight for the first time hanging on an exact replica of Mary's clothes. Hmm. And like, that's such a good mind fuck. But then people don't talk about how much of the game is like, just finding objects and then putting yeah. the objects in object-shaped depressions and things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of just – it's a lot of walking simulator. It's a lot of just slowly making your way through environments, and then after a while, something will happen, you know, or you'll see something uh, terrifying. Um, At least they have the dream logic kind of excuse more because mm -hmm. that, like, the idea – so often in this game, the the just imagining, like, the, the president or the owner of the Lakeview Hotel being like – well, time to turn on the security system. Better arrange these three figurines of Disney princesses on a clock. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, did this have the d puzzle difficulty, or is that three? This did have puzzle difficulty because I know there was. I know in three, they the puzzle difficulty would be the difference between like match these colors to like. Do you have a very good knowledge of Shakespeare plays? <laughs> uh, so also, uh, producer uh, Akihiro Imamura. Paid very close attention to the criticisms of the first game. This definitely felt like a step-up sequel. Um, it also got a higher budget, and they also brought in 30 more people to join the original team of 20. And, you know, now this is this was definitely the one, like, the 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 strongest of the series. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. No. Um, and it was definitely, like, Konami giving them enough credit and giving them enough resources to continue to do what they uh, – to, to – to really st take a step forward from what they did in the first one. Um, and then they all fuck it up after that. So, Well, people will fight to the death about whether 3 was a fuck-up. Mm. Um, oh, sure, sure. Not not fuck-up, but it, you, you can still already see Konami pulling resources out mm. just as soon as they started giving it in. Uh, other influences on 2 is our films by Cronenberg, Fincher, 
David Lynch again, Alfred Hitchcock. We're getting all all the all the stuff. Also, uh, they studied Tomb Raider for uh, the 3D environments and tried to take a lot of notes from that. They studied painters such as Francis Bacon, who's uh, best known for his depictions of popes and crucifixions and portraits of close friends, but he would abstract them. And many times he would isolate them in geometric cages and do all this stuff that if you look at his work, you'll see that Silent Hill influence. Rembrandt, whose wide range of work generally has a dark, moody look to it, big influences on them. Andrew Wyeth, an American painter who loved to create the landscapes of normal life of the areas in which he grew up, like Pennsylvania and Maine. Um, again, these are painters. These are things we don't usually talk about when we talk about, especially Japanese video games and what influenced them. You can tell us this is a very intense crew of artists that created this thing. Sato said, we really did not like anything too obvious. We deliberately avoided shallow, illustrative monsters or atmosphere. We carefully chose the inspirations rather ambiguous and chaotic or the very twisted art generated by twisted mind which i think is a like cool twisted art by twisted mind the fact that the save systems are just red squares is just so <laughs> creepy yeah super creepy and man i forgot until i rewatched it especially when you get inside those in- indoor environments just how dark that game is mm. and just how little you can see throughout large chunks of it and you're just like what the fuck like it's just barely little just outlines especially before you get the flashlight and stuff uh it's legendarily one of the hardest games to uh uh, emulate it uses up a lot of resources Uh, already emulating on playstation 2 is tough and uh they made a pc version and an xbox version but people uh say it's drastically inferior because so much of the environmental effects were reliant on special features of the PlayStation 2's quote-unquote emotion engine processor. There is uh, this fan project, I believe, called the Silent Hill 2 Enhanced Edition, Mm. which still requires tons and tons of going into system files and editing just to, like, get it to a level of fidelity and atmosphere that the PlayStation 2 could achieve. Going back to uh, Akira Yamaoka, on this uh, particular game, on Silent Hill 2, he uh, is doing the composition, also the sound effects. He's trying to throw sound effects at you of things that aren't even necessarily happening or things that um, you know you wouldn't expect when, when, when the sound effect happens or absolute silent moments. He said, selecting moments of silence is another way of producing sound, which I love that quote. And he was really into like, oh, when a moment you wouldn't expect total silence, you get total silence, things like that. Yamoka also said Silent Hill 2 was also one of the first games to really introduce rock and industrial music to gaming. You get that opening credit sequence, it's just like, it's like, it's a rock and rock. Very and Trent Reznor. Very Reznor, and uh, especially in Japan, and even more especially in a non-gimmicky way. I'm surprised they didn't talk more about like the music videos of Nine Inch Nails and like Tool being big influences, because I think you can see that for sure. That I mean, rusty, the timing would be right. Yeah, the rusty, grainy, just blah. And and that industrial influence definitely comes in through there. It was released in late September of 2001. It sold over a million copies in the first month, and afterwards, Sato walks away. Sato is working on a third game, and he just steps off because of the way Konami's being towards him this mm-hmm. whole time. And he's finally got the clout. I think after Silent Hill 2 to say, okay, now I can get a job somewhere that doesn't treat me like a bag of shit and, you know, just continue my legacy. And yeah, he said that essentially, um, I have this quote, but I'll just try to break it down. He said he walked away. He wasn't fired, as some people think, that he essentially, they promised a certain amount of money for Silent Hill 2. And then they're like, here's your money. And it was like half the amount that they Uh. promised. 
And then uh, even though it was incredibly successful, it was um, they were being taken advantage of regardless. And um, yeah, and and that uh, essentially because Sato Works got the credit for, I believe, like the CGI and everything and not him, even though it was him doing everything. Right. It's the same kind of thing we were talking about before, where there's this weird tradition and um, strangeness going on when it comes to superiors that they're just trying to fuck over these great artists left and right. So we got Silent Hill three and now you start to see the decline. Ten less people are involved in the making of the third entry, some of whom uh, some of the crew is totally new to the team. It's Akira Yamaoka serving as producer and composer for this one. And Kazuhide Nakazawa took on the role of director. And Hiroyuki serves as a scenario designer. The game's protagonist this time, a young girl named Heather. Um, and uh, Nakazawa wanted to do this. He said, it's not sudden surprise like when someone jumps out at you, uh, behind you or something like that. It's more of a crawling kind of fear that grows on you. Like when you see a new character that you haven't seen or when you see an unusual object or something that might have some intention, something that you're not sure might be dangerous. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, Silent Hill 3. Uh, no, okay, so there's a lot of really, there's choices. The, the thing about this is choices. Um, so supposedly uh, this wasn't supposed to be a direct sequel to Silent Hill 1 initially. They st- had the idea of having a uh, spoiler alert, a rebellious teenage protagonist, still kind of based on that American attitude, but someone who wasn't just another white guy yelling a woman's name. <laughs> <laughs> Regina, is there a Regina in this abandoned jailhouse? You left Regina at the altar when you decided to go on a murder spree in Cancun. You know, I'm going to try something different. Charles. Is there a Charles here? Is there maybe You a- hooked up with Charles in Cancun <laughs> and he what? helped you murder until you betrayed him. Oh, I forgot I killed all those people on that episode of Love Island. <laughs> <laughs> You didn't. You weren't part of a sag after <laughs> production, um, and so what I think happened was that Konami, eager to like capitalize on the success of Silent Hill, had a bunch of fucking um, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, tests audiences, test screenings, and surveys, and tried to figure out what Silent Hill's fans wanted. And if you were a true Silent Hill fan, if you played both games. One of the things you did want was closure on the big weird mystery at the end of Silent Hill 1. Uh-huh. Which the plot. Which the whole point was for there not to be closure. That was the whole idea. Yeah. The whole point was you got, you know, your child was actually a weird psychic projection of Alyssa Giuseppe, daughter of Dahlia Giuseppe. There was a weird cult and there was all this moogly googly. And, you know, then you ended up with a baby in the good ending. <laughs> um, and, like, you, it really wasn't supposed to get into that. Uh, but. Konami was like, what the people want is closure. And so they made it a direct sequel. And so even though all of the artists and all the direction uh, do amazing jobs on projecting that same level of like psychological horror that made Silent Hill 2 great, uh, the actual plot about like giving birth to a god baby is like not quite there. And like Harry Mason's fate and like the fact that Heather grew up to be all this other stuff. And it's just... 
it you know there's cool pregnancy anxiety there's cool like menstruation imagery it does tap into the exact psychoses and anxieties of a teenage girl but always indirectly always through art direction and design choices never through the actual plot itself uh they did do a bunch of cool stuff with the playstation hardware like that wriggly jiggly um texture effect that nobody had figured out how to do yet uh, but you know, in the end, there's just a lady in a back, black robe being like, you're going to be a baby thingy. You're going to be a baby. <laughs> Grab baby. Arr, I want the baby. Give me the baby. Oh, babies. Now, while this is happening and fucked up, uh, rabbits and fucked up rabbits. Of course. I, I so, thank you. Cause I didn't, the, the angry male we were going to get <laughs> the fucked up rabbits were mentioned. Um, listen, when I think about silent Hill, <laughs> I think about blasting fucked up rabbits with a submachine gun. <laughs> Um, so uh, while this is going on alongside it, there is a new style of game being developed by Team Silent, uh, and the name of the game tentatively is Room 302. They wanted, I think, it seems like they wanted it to be this breakout, a break away from Silent Hill into a new series, but Konami was like, no, 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 and was like, you fucking... Your your job, slave... Oh, sorry, I can't call you slave. Employee... (laughs) Is to create more Silent Hills. So they ended up making it a Silent Hill game called Silent Hill for the Room. Uh, it was also produced by composer Akira Yamaoka. And the concept was to take people's own room or, you know, you think of your your apartment uh, or your bedroom as like the safest place in your world and to make that a scary space, a terrifying space. Um, you know, and, like that song In the Garage by Weezer? Mm-hmm. It's like that, but a room. Or like that movie. The Room. Uh, so they moved it to a... No, uh, Silent Hill Revelation 3D is like The Room, supposedly. <laughs> oh, my God. So they moved it to a first-person uh, situation when you're navigating your room, uh, or the room in the game, because it is uh, supposed to give you this claustrophobic feel, but then it would go to third-person when you were doing combat and stuff. It uh, resembled elements from the novel House of Leaves, which has a very uh, unorthodox approach to reading a book and is all full of mystery and it makes so much sense it, it's like yep house of leaves influencing silent hill that i i could have guessed that one um there are also some nods towards twin peaks rosemary's baby and the film the cell in there um and you know uh it's supposed to be it's okay i, I watched some footage it seemed fine it seemed like a weird thing that wasn't ever like a, a very focused thing actually well it is very um pt if anything, resembles Silent Hill The Room more than anything else because yeah. you're based out of this one apartment and it's constantly shifting and it's constantly changing. And, you know, the uh, the normalcy of it is is always in active decay and you don't know what's going on. So you and Matt McMuscles, y'all talked about the failed bad games, right? Uh, we talked about the... So, so something happens. <laughs> uh, Silent Hill 4 comes out and uh, they don't really know what to do with it. Team Silent uh, is disbanded because three and four just kind of didn't move the needle in the yeah. same way that the previous games did. Uh, around this era, the whole Japanese industry of video game making is really struggling to adapt to the HD era. The old kind of ways uh, aren't aren't clicking. They're trying to catch up to places like Activision and EA that are putting out these you know hundreds of millions of dollars super games that do run in HD, but trying to do it with less resources and less cultural like context. And now that's like almost completely out the window. Everything from from software to uh, uh, platinum games, like you know, Japanese devs like figured their shit out. But yeah, this was these were the dark ages. These were some weird times for 
for Japan game devs. So they kind of hit the same thing that like uh, Sega did with Sonic, where they kind of just figured, all right, there's X amount of Silent Hill fans in the world. We just need to make games for less than X amount so it'll sell X amount and we'll make X amount of money on it. Um, stuff like Silent Hill Origins, Silent Hill Homecoming, Silent Hill Shattered Memories, and Silent Hill Downpour are all done by like kind of lower tier Western based developers. Uh, Downpour was with one base out of like Czechoslovakia uh, and none of them move the needle in a way that really matters. Um, Konami too, through this time of their whole, the company is just shifting into a cynical, weird space. They're more concerned about pachinko machines than they are about artistic driven video games. Um, it's well, a money driven thing. And you know, they were never, it was never a very like happy, friendly environment, corporate wise to work at. So, you know, it's it's of course they would just you know start downsizing anything about it that would be magical and sort of going into as much of a cynical route as possible to make I that money. You don't money, even have son. to design a game really when you make a pachinko machine. Yeah. You just have to like create a plastic box with a screen on it, smack a Silent Hill label on it, and boom, boom, boom. Um, and I remember that was one of the funniest things was like seeing that Silent Hill pachinko machine while all everything was going on. And let's talk a little bit about PT. We've talked about it before. Uh, I, I really, in short. PT was this demo. Check out our Hideo Kojima episode. Yes. If you want to hear more about PT. Yeah, we, we, we get more into the weeds with it, I believe, in that episode. So I'll just... I, I, I They make a demo. It, it spreads like wildfire. And then Konami, when um, Kojima... Kojima famously made it with Guillermo del Toro. It was a surprise that it was the... It was actually a weird... Um, teaser for a silent hills video game that they were working on it is absolutely terrifying you're in this house you're it's a never-ending hallway essentially and you have to do some weird-ass puzzle shit and you're being haunted by this woman and it's absolutely amazing it's incredibly atmospheric it's terrifying if you ever get a chance to play it it's so hard to play it now i have a friend who he still has it on his playstation 4 um, and uh, he uses a different PlayStation 4 now because his daughter accidentally dropped it and the disc got caught in it. So that PS4, I do believe, has not been updated yet. Wow. So I think it still has it on there. And when I go, I've gone over a couple different times and played it. And I remember the first time I played that, I was so terrified and it was so well done. And it's such a shame that we don't get what Silent Hills would have been. But hopefully there's a little bit of it in, the, in Death Stranding's DNA. Um, it was just absolutely incredible. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, all Konami fucking being dicks and I can't to believe the they point- would yank it from the PlayStation, like this free demo that they gave out. Mm-hmm. They yanked it from the PlayStation store and are making it as hard well, as they I can mean, for people to literally play. Literally Kojima went on it, went ahead and like made his own game studio and took Norman Reedus and yeah. Guillermo del Toro yeah, yeah. with him. Totally. Which and is I, like, I get it, but I don't get it. I mean, he left because, you know, and, and of course, Hey, listen to the Kojima episode. We'll talk more about it there, but it would have been, I would have been so, so much more excited for Silent Hills. And I'm excited for death stranding. Yeah. But same. Silent Hills would have been Ugh. so much more intense. I mean, just to get a specifically a horror game, from that team would have been incredible. And oddly enough, just by fate's deciding, as we record literally like two days ago, uh, Konami announced that Silent Hill is coming back as a slot machine. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, The game will feature all new characters and scenarios tailor-made for the uh, coin-popping experience. Uh, Silent Hill uh, unveiled it at the Global Gaming Expo in Las Vegas. 
That's amazing. Um, uh, from the announcement, guests at this year's G2E will be first to set eyes on the iconic Silent Hill video game as a four-wager slot experience. Dual series launch themes leveraging thrilling scenes, sounds, and characters from Konami's recognized entertainment legacy. So you're just going to, like, pull a, pull a lever and things are going to go biddly diddly diddly do, and you're going to be like, oh, I got the pyramid head multiplier bonus. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Um, Which I'll, is weird because I you can only imagine like going to Atlantic City and some eighty year old blue haired woman is just like, hooray! I unveiled Maria's prison cell, <laughs> <laughs> or like yeah yeah literally like oh I've un- I've 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 killed the incubator. <laughs> right right right. Quick shout out to the bad movies. Uh, director Christoph Gans. Who made uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf, which I of the loved Wolf. Brotherhood of the Wolf at the time. And now, that's what got him the clout to make Silent Hill. And I'm so scared of watching it now again yeah, because yeah. the idea of Native American kung fu ha! French movie <laughs> fighting like werewolves is so fucking nuts that I can't believe as a kid I was like, oh, this is the best movie. It took him five years to get the rights from Team Silent and they finally gave it to them after like a big campaign. He co-wrote it with Roger fucking Avery, collaborator with Tarantino on the script for Pulp Fiction. How is that the crossover of today's episode? I don't understand it. I can't believe Roger Avery is involved in this, especially when it comes to making the bad Silent Hill movie. Um, They ended up actually getting a sequel ordered following the release of the first film. There was a really funny interview. I was trying to go back and find the quote, but I couldn't, where it was with, like, like, the head people of Team Silent, and they were interviewing them about, like, Silent Hill 2 or 3. And um, they were like, so what do you think of the movie? And they were like, while we felt that so they did well with some of the technical things, we don't think they quite nailed the, You know, it's very funny. Like, they've tried to, like, not talk shit but talk shit. Um, I really want to watch Silent Hill Revelation. Yeah, and then, there's, and then you've got Silent Hill Revelation, which is based on the third game. Um, they, they got a sequel ordered, but, uh, Gans, I guess is how you pronounce it, or Gans, he declined because he had some other projects he was working on. Roger Avery was supposed to write it until he got arrested in 2008 for vehicular manslaughter. So MJ Bassett replaced, uh, uh, Avery as, uh, writer and director, um, for Silent Hill Revelation, um, and Bassett directed on shows like Ash vs. Evil Dead and that, um, Philip K. Dick, uh, Altered Carbon. Yeah. Uh, anthology series. Wait, Altered Carbon or Electric Sheep? Um, it, no, no, I thought it was called Altered Carbon. I thought it was... The Philip K. Dick series was called Electric, Electric Sheep. Sheep. Yeah. Oh, I thought Altered Carbon was too, but maybe it's, it's a maybe different I, type I'm, of, no, Maybe no. it's a different type of sci-fi uh, anthology series. Either way, decent credits. I kind of want to watch it. It looks crazy. Uh, it looks fucking nuts, and uh, Matt McNussels recommends it to watch while drunk. Yeah, of course. So who knows? Maybe a <laughs> chuck, maybe a giggle flicks. Yeah, yeah, maybe a giggle flicks in our near future. I think we might need to do that. And I think that that is our episode on Silent Hill. Uh, another one of those stories about the little dev company or the little dev group that could making something incredible based on wild stroke influences. And yeah, for the most part, a lot of the talent that we described did move on to bigger and better things. Masahiro Ito. Uh, made Silent Hill spinoff comics that were really well received, and his artwork goes for lots of money. And he does illustration work for a lo- uh, other other companies. Yeah, it's Sato uh, Nintendo. Is there a fucking Stephanie in this abandoned factory? <gasps> you made a date with Stephanie, but then you decided to ghost her. Okay, well, always remember, keep on whizzing. 
Oh, wait, hold on. Wait, no, no, no. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got this. I got this. Guys, don't worry. I got this. I got this. This is the thing. You think I don't got this, and that's what uh, makes yeah. you dumb. Everybody's saying you don't got this right now, and you totally got this. In my, less, in my restless dreams, I see that town, Silent Hill. You promised me you'd take me there again someday, but you never did. Well, I'm alone there now, in our special place, waiting for you to keep on bruising. <laughs> this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.